Morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, and I do know uh, quite a few of you, uh, my name is Dan. Headlines for you. Uh, I once blew up a bridge live on local television. Uh, I once taught Aston Merigold, former member of JLS and disgraced absentee of Strictly Come Dancing, how to play the piano. And I once played football for 48 hours, although that was not all in the same weekend. Um, uh, and I am 26 years old. I am married to an amazing woman called Charlotte who wants you all to know that she's praying for you this morning. And, uh, and as, uh, until yesterday, I was an Arsenal supporter. Um, but it's really cool to be with you. Thank you so much for having me this morning, I hope and believe and trust that we're going to have fun together. With the person sat next to you, I've got a quick question. Have you ever had a period or moment in your life where you have felt, no, where you felt trapped? So any moment, it could be like a, a physical moment where you've actually physically been trapped or a time you've had to face a tough decision. Any moment where you've ever sensed or felt trapped. Talk with the person next to you for 30 seconds. Give you another couple of seconds to chat about that. Very good. Very good. Draw your conversation to a close. Um, I want to tell you a quick story about a time in my life where I felt uh, trapped. I went to university in Sheffield. Uh, That's where I went to study music there because I wanted to grow up and I do nothing. And uh, but I lived in Peterborough. That's where my family were from. And so quite frequently, I would travel between Sheffield and Peterborough on the train. And there was one particular uh, day that I was travelling back on the train, uh, and the train was unlike the one in this picture, absolutely rammed. So that all the seats were filled, all of the aisles in between the seats were filled, and I had to go into one of like the little compartments. You know, like the compartments between carriages, where there's a little bit of space and a toilet. I had to, I had to go there. And so I went there. There was another two or three people there and we were about to start our journey about an hour and 15 long and I took my suitcase I took a book out of it I sat down on my suitcase and I read and for most of the journey it was absolutely fine until we were about five minutes from the destination in Peterborough and and um in kind of my ear, I started to hear from the, the carriage a bit of raucous, a little bit of noise. And it, it sounded like a very, very angry person making a lot of noise about someone else. We weren't sure in our little compartment who it was. And anyway, we soon found out because stumbling into the compartment with about five minutes to go was about a 40-year-old Scottish woman who was absolutely plastered. Like she had been drinking since eight o'clock in the morning the previous day. She was absolutely off her face. And it was one of those moments, I know in this series we're talking about lifting our eyes to Jesus. This was a moment where you wanted to do anything but lift your eyes. This was an eyes down moment. You did not want to make eye contact with this woman because who knows what on earth she'd been putting into her bloodstream. Anyway, uh, she had had this this smell about her uh, that was not particularly pleasant uh, and had a face, and I don't know why I remember this, kind of resembled sort of like a, like a golf ball. It was like all, it was all a bit weird. Anyway, we all had our eyes down, like, do not look at this woman. Do not look at this woman. But I had something in my head that was going, look at this woman. So what, did, what did she look like? What's happening here? But don't look at her because what might happen if you look at her? Anyway, I lift my eyes for just a few seconds and at that moment I notice that her eyes have locked onto mine and I'm thinking to myself, oh no. And she says at the top of her voice, you're gorgeous. And I'm thinking to myself two things. I think first of all, this is weird, I might die. Secondly, I'm thinking, I'll take what I can get. Um, <laughs> but 
I've made eye contact with this woman and everyone else is looking at me going, you should not have done what you've just done there because this may go terribly wrong. And so this woman starts telling me, she's obviously very drunk. She starts talking to me about like her ex-husband and how she's on the train to see him. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to be a Christian and love you, but please go away and never come back. Um, and she's, she's talking to me and she's starting to like move closer to me. Now I'm already in quite a confined compartment here and she's moving close to me. And as she's moving close to me, the train goes over a bump and she lets out a humongous belch. And it was like a nuclear missile had been dropped in the train, like a cloud of green smog descended down with all the different mixes of alcohol you could possibly imagine. And she's coming closer to me, and she's still going on the line of me being gorgeous, which again, I'm like, no, 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 but also, yeah. But um, she's coming closer to me, and I'm basically moving myself backwards on my suitcase until I'm up against, you know that little button that's like, open the door? And I start pressing the open door button, even though we're like two minutes. At that point, I hear um, the train driver saying, we're, we're about to, you know, arrive in Peterborough, and I'm thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it, I'm going to get out of it. And I'm seriously thinking about doing the emergency brake moment, and she's getting close to me, and I've got no idea what she's going to do. I think at one moment, I thought she was going to lick my face, because, like, she had a bit of dribble coming out of here. Anyway, we pull up in Peterborough, and just at the moment where she's about here telling me how gorgeous I am about her ex-husband, about the fact she drinks everything under the sun, I get out, and I get away from the train, and I say to my dad in the car, Dad, drive, there is a woman after me, I don't know what she's got planned, she's got an ex-husband, and he might be as mad as she is. And I just about escape. And, uh, and I, I ask you that question about, have you ever had a moment where you felt trapped and share that story with you? Because we're going to look at a story in the Bible this morning. And I think, Adam, mate, what we're going to do is we're not going to show the video because we're a little bit over on time. And I want to make sure that, that we say all the stuff we need to say. But we're going to look at our moment in, in John chapter 8 where Jesus finds himself in a position where he's being trapped by the Pharisees. So if you've got a Bible, we're in John chapter 8. It's only a short passage. Let me read it to you. As I'm reading this passage, I encourage you in your mind's eye to picture what's been going on here, what the situation might be like. So here we go, John chapter 8. Jesus was, uh, appearing, appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. That meant she'd been sleeping with someone who wasn't her husband and she'd been caught in that act. The teachers of the law, oh sorry, and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote down in the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the old ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and sin no more. Um, we're looking at this series, Lift Your Eyes. And, and my topic for you this morning is thinking about going from filters to freedom. Um, and in this story, Jesus finds himself trapped, but also there is a woman caught in adultery who finds herself trapped. And I want to suggest to you this morning, and this is going to go a pretty deep, like I'm not going for like a, a light vegetarian meal this morning. We're going like full on in with a, with a Sunday roast and a bit of gravy on the side. Uh, we're going to go with some meaty stuff this morning because I want to suggest that Christians, we believe, and even if you're not Christian, we believe that in humanity there is a battle going on between God and the devil. It's a spiritual battle that's going on. And that battle involves keeping us trapped. I think we've got an image for that, Adam, if there is one in there. 
that the enemy wants to trap us. And in this passage, we find Jesus finding himself trapped by the Pharisees and also a woman trapped in her situation. The problem is that the the kind of things that the enemy uses to try and trap us and essentially to keep our eyes away from looking up to Jesus are things that in church sometimes we don't like to talk about. Things like sin, which means doing stuff wrong and the kind of things that we get wrong, the kinds of things that we can sometimes think or look at or talk about, the stuff that's just not quite right. We don't talk about them in church because we think it's a little bit awkward. However, if we, if we are going to lift our eyes to Jesus, we need to be aware of the kind of things that the devil, the enemy uses to keep our eyes off of Jesus. That's really important. And so this morning, we're going to think a little bit about what it means to be trapped and the kind of things that the enemy, the devil, likes to use to trap us and to keep us down. And some of this stuff is going to be pretty meaty and pretty heavy, so I hope it's going to be okay for you guys. What I do want to say right at the start is that this is not going to be anything like a guilt trip. This is not going to be negative. This is not going to be downbeat, and this is not going to be a a bad talk, hopefully. I want you to know right at the start that the Jesus who I believe in and the Jesus I've worshipped since I was 13 years old has won. That the battle that we are a part of and the battle that we are fighting is a battle that we've won. That with Jesus, we're on the winning side. And, and, and I heard this analogy not too long ago. Um, Second World War, right, there was this moment called D-Day. And in D-Day, all the Allied forces landed and stormed Normandy and France. And that was the moment, basically, when the war was won. Because the enemy was retreating. There was nothing left they could do. It was just a matter of time. That was the day that historians look at and say that was when the war was won. However, the war was not officially won until about a month later at something called V-Day, when, surrender, when, the, when the enemy surrendered, when the Axis surrendered. I and mean, it's kind of like as Christians, we believe we're in that middle period, that in what Jesus did on the cross when he died and rose again and defeated death, that was the D-Day moment. That was the moment in which we won. And where we've not hit V-Day yet, that's what we find at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. And it's like the enemy, the devil, is doing whatever he can between D-Day and V-Day to keep us trapped, to keep us down, to keep our eyes away from Jesus. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. So I'm just going to share three uh, thoughts with you. Um, I, I try not to take too long ago at all. Three thoughts, and then we're going to respond. Does that sound all right with you guys? Is that cool? Okay, wonderful. Um, so this is where we're going to go. Um, Point number one, and this is what I want to look at. In the war of entrapment that we're part of, in the, in the war that we're fighting, the spiritual war with the enemy, the enemy has these two main weapons that he wants to use against us. If you're a note-taking person, this is my point number one. The enemy likes to use temptation and guilt to keep our eyes away from Jesus. Andy, can I borrow for you a second? That's all right. Um, anyone ever wanted to punch Andy with uh, boxing gloves? Lovely. Uh, out you come. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Here you go. These are for you. You can take those. Just pop them on. That's all right. Come and stand. Come and stand. Come and stand over here. Come and stand over here. Just here. That's great. Um, so, I don't know if you watch boxing. Maybe you don't. But what's really important in boxing is combinations, right? So, it's like a, a left hook, right hook, that kind of thing. Or like a body blow and then an uppercut. Um, when talking about spiritual battle and the kind of things that the enemy likes to use, he's got this combination, right? This, this two-pronged combination. It's like a hook to the head and a hook to the stomach. The first is temptation. If you want to give Andy a little whack to the side of the head, that'd be great. That's his first one. Yeah, nice, good. And then the second one he uses is guilt. If you put that into the abdomen, that'd be great. Just a little one, just a little one to the stomach. Yeah, go on. There you go. Oh, you think you do better. And you probably can recognize moments in your lives when both of these things are at play. Temptation, that one to the head. Can you just do that again to show us how that looked again? Those are the moments that you may... (laughs) No, that's okay. That's okay for now. These are the moments where you know that you're being um, encouraged and tempted to do something that you know is not right to do. It's the moment like in that story in Romans chapter 8 where Jesus is basically being tempted by the Pharisees to give an answer he doesn't want to give. 
I'm sure you know there are moments in your life, maybe it's when you're out at a party with your mates and you've already had a couple and they're tempting to have a couple more and you're kind of like, oh, I'm not sure about that. It's the moment where you're alone sometimes in your room and you search on the internet and you're like, I don't know what to, you know, should I look at this? That's temptation at work. And that is the first thing in the two-part combination that that the enemy likes to use. It's temptation. And then the second part is guilt. Back to the stomach again. Oh, well. Um, just give it one more. Um, that's fine. Um, guilt is the moment after you wake up the next morning or after you've, you've talked about someone behind their back and you've gone to yourself, do you know what? I wish I hadn't have done that. It does not feel as good as I thought it would at the time. This is like a two-part combination the enemy uses. You can give it one more to the head, one more to the stomach, and then you take your boxing gloves off. I just think it'll give it a little I'm bit more. You to come and speak again. No, that's fine. I knew you wouldn't. So, um, yeah, and what's the head? Lovely. <laughs> Boxing gloves off. Thank- Round of applause for our volunteers. Lovely stuff. <laughs> That's the only reason I agreed to coming. I'm done. Um, we are part of a battle, and in that battle, the enemy uses temptation and he uses guilt in order to keep our eyes from looking up to Jesus. I'm writing here temptation and guilt. And if I think about my own story as a Christian, I see these two factors in play a lot in my life. Um, I played football for a football team uh, in Peterborough. And one time we were doing a lap of the field, like a full lap of the field. And we found under this bush, me and a couple of guys uh, from my football team, this magazine. And I was about like 11, 12 at the time. And I saw this magazine. And the first thing I noticed is that the people on this magazine had things on their bodies that I did not have on my own body. The second thing I noticed is I preferred the things I saw on these people's bodies to what I saw on my own body. And what I noticed not too long later after this, having, having chatted to some of my mates, is apparently if you, if you put the right words into Google a little bit later, as long as after 6 o'clock in the evening, because that's when the internet came on when I was really young, um, you could find similar images of that kind of thing. And that started for me a massive long battle that went throughout several years of my life growing up of pornography. Yes, I said pornography. We're going there this morning. Pornography was something for me that as a young Christian, I really struggled with. Oftentimes, I felt that two sucker punch attack from the enemy where I was like tempted to look at something I knew I didn't want to look at. And as soon afterwards, I felt that guilt as well. Do you know that four in five young lads under the age of 18 admit to regularly looking at pornography and one in three girls? Only 3% of boys and 70% of girls have seen it. And I think about my own life and I remember chatting to some of my mates and they were like, yeah, it's just, it's just porn. Everyone watches it. It's not a massive problem. And I, and I hear people talk like that all the, all the time. But what I remember in my own life and my own story is, 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 is it kept me from my eyes looking at Jesus. But more than that, it, it was like a cancer that spread in my own life. It, it really damaged relationships that I had with other people growing up. The thing is about pornography is, you know, you, you hit play and, and, and essentially the, the, the actors and actresses that you're watching, they, they can't say no. They don't say no. And what happened was in my own life, as I started to look at relationships that I had with girls, I had that similar attitude of you, you are here for a purpose. And that purpose was similar to what I was getting from looking at the stuff I was looking at online. And, and I want to be real with you because we do not talk about this in church. And yet it's one of the number one ways that the enemy will want to pull your eyes away from Jesus. If you can turn eyes elsewhere to look at stuff which is just not as good as what Jesus has for you. If he uses that temptation to get, take your gaze away and then guilt as that kind of uppercut in the stomach to make you feel worthless and bad about who you are for doing what you've done. Then he keeps your eyes from looking to Jesus. It destroyed how I saw people. It damaged relationships. And it was really, really difficult. In this story we're looking at in, in John chapter 8, we learn about, um, there's this word that pops up called condemnation. So this woman who's caught in adultery, Jesus speaks to her right at the end and says to her, 
you know, is there no one here that condemns you? She says, no. And he says, neither do I condemn you. This word condemnation is really important in this battle. There's, there's two words I want to teach you about, right? One of them is this word condemnation. I'm going to write that here. Condemnation. Condemnation is the idea of someone making you feel bad, condemning you, saying, accusing you, essentially. I've written that on the wrong one. That's meant to be the devil. I'm going to cross that out and put the devil there. I'm going to put God over here, just so you know the difference, because God does not do any of those things. That says conviction. Um, what the enemy loves to do is to condemn you. He's known in the Bible as the great accuser. It's the idea of him making you feel bad about what you've done. What the enemy loves to do is he loves to put stuff in our way to tempt us to doing stuff that we don't want to do, and then he condemns us. He says, I can't believe you've done that. I don't know if you've ever had moments in your life. I've had loads in mine where I've done something, and immediately I've thought to myself, there's been this feeling within me of, I can't believe you've done that. You call yourself a Christian, you've looked at that. You call yourself a Christian, you've said that. You call yourself a Christian, and you act like that. What kind of Christian are you? That's condemnation, and that comes from the enemy. There's another word that we find in the Bible that God uses, and that's the word conviction. And conviction and condemnation are not the same thing. Uh, we've got, I think, a slide about that, Adam, if that's all right. Condemnation and conviction are, lo- are completely different things. Condemnation, we find in this story, condemnation is the Pharisee saying, stone this woman. She deserves to be stoned. She's done something wrong. She needs to be punished for what she's done. Conviction is Jesus saying, go and sin no more. condemnation is when the enemy comes and questions you and gets you down and makes you think that you're worthless. Condemnation is the fact that the devil knows your name but chooses to identify you by the stuff that you've done wrong. Conviction is the fact that Jesus knows the stuff you've done wrong and chooses to call you by your name. Conviction of those moments where, where, you, where Jesus said, you know what, the stuff you're looking, looking, not look, looking at or, or doing or saying isn't right, but I've got something greater for you. Condemnation is when the enemy questions who you are because of what you've done. Conviction is when God reminds you of who you are when you've done what you've done. You see, we are part of a battle, and in that battle, the enemy wants to take your eyes away from turning up to God. He will do whatever he can to do that. He will condemn you, make you feel like you're worthless, put stuff in your way, make you feel bad about it. Conviction is the fact that even though we mess up and get stuff wrong, God is still on your side. Jesus still loves you. So the first point is that the devil loves to use temptation and guilt in this war of entrapment that we're part of. The second part, uh, the second thing I love to look at, and I need to go quickly here, um, is the fact that the enemy will do anything he can to pull you away from having time with Jesus. Um, a little while ago, I started uh, fancying someone. There's no surprise about that. What was surprising was the fact that I felt that she fancied me back, actually. Um, I, fa- I started fancying her, and we started dating each other. She ended up being my wife. I, I made the right call there. I didn't go for the woman on the train. That would have been a disaster. Um, and I, she lived in Sheffield. That's what we met at university. And I was working in Birmingham in Hell's Own for Youth for Christ. And um, I used to do this thing right, where I snuck off work a tiny bit early. This was before Laura was my line manager. She can't do anything about it. Um, I used to sneak off from work just to go and hang out in Sheffield and spend time with Charlotte, because I fancied her more than she fancied me, and she she confesses that's true as well. I used to go on a four-hour round trip just to spend 
two hours with her. I know, I know, it's a little bit sad, but it was love. Um, so I used to go and spend a bit of time with her, and I, and I would memorize the route that I could do. So I'd, I'd have to go at like kind of five o'clock in the afternoon, I'd get back about half past 11, and I knew the route off the, like the, like the back of my hand. I knew that I had to go onto the, onto the M5, and then onto the M42, and then onto the M1, and then take the junction off at Sheffield. I could basically do this journey in my sleep, but I wouldn't. That'd be terrible. Anyway, one, uh, one journey, I was traveling back from Sheffield to Birmingham, and I was doing the route that I knew really well, no problem. And all of a sudden, it was at nighttime, it was in the middle of winter, one of my headlights goes off. And I think to myself, that's inconvenient. And then the second one goes off, and I'm plunged into total darkness and blackness. And all of a sudden, the route that I thought I knew really well became completely and utterly unfamiliar to me and I got scared and I got worried and I didn't know where I was and so what I did was I, I kind of trundled up I turned my head my main head beams on and I took myself into a little alley and I called and it all got sorted out in the end but it got me thinking a little bit about my Christian faith you know as Christians there are things that we kind of if we're being honest know is right and know is wrong and yet what the enemy loves to do in the war of entrapment is to get us to get the lines blurred really to get us to have moments where we don't recognize the pathway that we're meant to be on Moments where, we, where we're not sure quite the difference between right and wrong. In a way, what he loves to do is to get us to turn the headlights off. That's why it's so important to spend time alone with Jesus. That's why in Psalm 119, it says that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's more than just being a nice thing, knowing your Bible. It helps you know where to navigate yourself. It helps you tell the difference between right and wrong. And if the enemy could do one thing to stop you, it would be to stop you having time with Jesus. Now, I don't know how much time you spend with Jesus. I don't know when you have your time with Jesus. I don't know if you do spend time with him. But I want to say that in the war that we're a part of, in the war of entrapment where the enemy wants to take you from looking up to Jesus, he will do whatever he can to stop you spending time with Jesus. Time with Jesus is the love. And what I love about the story in John chapter 8, as I imagine it in my mind's eye, is that sense of closeness. That as Jesus picks up this woman and says, does anyone condemn you that he's close to her? And what the devil would love to do is to make you feel that God is distant, that when you make mistakes, that when you mess up, that God is far away and he doesn't care about you and he judges you and he condemns you because of what you've done. The truth is that in those moments, God loves to be close to you. He wants to be close to you. He wants to remind you about who you are in him. My final point is this, and I'm going to land. My first point was that Jesus loves to use temptation and guilt. My second point was that the enemy would do anything he can to pull you away from time with Jesus. My third point is this, that whatever you may be struggling with or dealing with or going through today, Jesus has got absolute 100% authority and power to set you free from it. Absolute authority and power to set you free from it. I love that. Thank you. Um, there's a little bit later, right, in John chapter 8. So here's what's happened. That, that moment's happened and uh, the woman's been led off and a load of people come to hear from Jesus. And in John chapter 8, a little bit later, he starts talking to everyone. So imagine you've just seen this scene happen. Imagine you've just seen that interaction with this woman caught in adultery with the Pharisees. And then imagine hearing Jesus just after that happening saying this. To everyone who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Listen to this bit. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Here's what I love about freedom as Jesus talks about it. Oftentimes when we think about freedom in Christianity, we just think about like not doing stuff we're not supposed to do and doing stuff we're supposed to do. Or sometimes people who aren't Christians would say, well, Christianity is not a freeing thing because you've got to do these particular things and not do these particular things. That's kind of missing the point. Because when Jesus talks about freedom here in this passage, he talks about it in the context of family. 
I want you to know right now that wherever you might be struggling with or going through, that Jesus invites you to be part of his family. That freedom is more than just free from not doing stuff or doing stuff or making the right decision. Freedom is knowing that you have identity as being part of God's family. And the enemy would do anything he can to stop you from thinking that you are who you really are. This morning, if you're a Christian, you are a son of the living God, or you're a daughter of the living God. You are precious, you are loved, you are valued, that you, are, you have purpose. And the enemy, what he does when he tempts us and he brings us guilt is he takes our eyes away from the truth of who we are. God wants to remind you this morning of who you are. You are freed from the stuff that holds you down. You are freed for a purpose of life with Jesus. And you are free to do whatever you want to do. Paul talks about that. He says, like, you can do whatever you want to do. But freedom is knowing who you are, is knowing whose you are, is knowing that you're loved, is knowing that you're valued, is knowing that you're treasured. I, um, the, the, the battle with pornography went on from about 12, 13, all the way through to about um, 20, 21, um, on and off moments here and, and there. And, and I remember it's, it's flipping hard work because sometimes I'd like muster enough willpower to, to do the right thing and sometimes I'd just give in and... And it was like a battle that was ongoing. And from the number of young men especially, but young women as well that I've spoken to, that's a battle that's very real for a lot of people. Two key things happened that took me away from looking at that stuff. Firstly, was a preacher a little bit like the one I've just stolen from here, where someone got up and said, do you know what? Freedom is so much more than just doing the right thing. Freedom is knowing that you are valued and treasured. And that was a kickstarter for me. The second thing was having two guys in my life called um, Luke and Simon, who I got accountable with, who I got real with, and who I got honest with. I want to ask you, who is there in your life that you have that the things that you may have been thinking about as I've been speaking about, that maybe the issues and the struggles you have in your life, who are the people that you could readily talk about those things with? Christianity is not something you're meant to do alone. It's something that we're called to do together in mission with other people. And if you don't have people in your life that you can be truly honest about what you're watching, what you're thinking about, what you're saying, you're going to find it really hard. Um, the reason that I can, you can believe me or not, if I'm talking about when I last looked at pornography, you, you ask Simon or Luke because they've got access to what I look at on the internet, uh, and they'll tell you. And I need that because I'm still weak, and let me tell you that marriage doesn't solve everything. That doesn't suddenly mean you don't laugh, lust after places you shouldn't lust after. We're, we're fragile human beings, and the enemy will do whatever he can to take my eyes away from Jesus. This morning, I want to encourage you. I want to say that those are there, though there's an enemy that wants to bring your eyes away from Jesus, that Jesus right now speaks over every single one of you, whatever you've done, that you are loved, that you're treasured, that you're valued, and you're free. Get some people alongside you to be real with and to be honest with. And we're going to do some business with God now. Um, got a tiny bit of time. So what I'm going to do um, is, is, I hope that's been all right. Um, there were stories that I didn't use. Adam, I've fully messed you around with the images I've used and not used. You've been brilliant. Thank you. Um, I want to lead us in a time of response. And what I want to do is, first of all, just give you space to be personal with God. So I'm just going to give like 30 seconds for you to bow your head. And, and I bet it won't be difficult for you to pull up something in your life that you know you're battling with and know that you're struggling with. I'm just going to give you a moment to be honest with God. Then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship, and then we're going to have a lead response afterwards. I'm just going to give you 30 seconds to be honest with God in this time. And as you bring some of these things to mind you may well hear and feel in your in your heart this kind of battle that's going on so I'm just going to say a real quick prayer and that prayer is going to be uh, in Jesus name I just say that the enemy you've got no space in this place you've got no space to condemn here there's no place for you to bring guilt or shame to myself or my friends here this morning there's no place this is not your time And as you're just praying with God and you're bringing up those things, those, those battles you may be, maybe be having for a while, 
I just want you to imagine that Jesus is lifting you up to your feet right now and saying to you, is there anyone here that's condemning you? Because I don't condemn you. May you know right now, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're wrestling, maybe it's, maybe it's not so much a thing that you've done, maybe it's an attitude that you have about yourself, maybe it's self-worth, maybe it's self-image. We've all got vulnerable spots. Whatever that is, may you know Jesus speaking over you right now, that you are valued, that you are cared for, that you are loved, that you are free, and that you're on the winning side. Let me pray over you as you continue to, to think and to, to wrestle maybe with some of these things in your own heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that you have won, that you have the victory. Father, we're not, we're not part of a war where we're not gonna, we don't know what the result is going to be. Lord, we're on the winning side. And Father, we declare in Jesus' name that you have the victory. And Father, in our own hearts and our own lives, there's so much that's going on. There's so much, it's flipping complicated to be a human being. There's so much that we've got to deal with, so much we've got to try and get right and get wrong. And it's so hard sometimes. But I thank you that it is clear in your word and from time spent with you that you love us so much. And Father, I thank you that you love each and every one of my friends here deeply and passionately. And Lord, your will and your desire for them is for them to be set free. And not just free from not doing stuff, more than that, free to be part of the family that you've called us all to be part of. Free to be who we were always meant to be. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name.